Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2011 Annual Missions Conference. This is the second evening service of Wednesday the 1st of June 2011, entitled God is in the Work of Missions. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. Here's Brother Richard Rawls. All right, good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. Good to see each one of you here. And uh, I especially enjoyed your presentation, brother. I appreciate that very much. My heart is in Bible printing and distribution and uh, helping to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Good to be back with you. Amen. Amen. How many of you are here tonight? Oh, some of you are not here. Let's try it again. How many of you are here tonight? All right. I'm a little rough around the edges every once in a while. I try to not be that way, but from the bottom of my heart, it is a joy to be here. I uh, was answering an an email earlier today, and uh, I was telling the folk in that email how friendly and kind and congenial you are. And uh, then I got to think about it. You've been putting up with me since 1995, almost every year, except one. And uh, I think I came for one service that year. But uh, I just love you in the Lord and appreciate you. Amen. You're special to us. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 16. <coughs> Pardon me. While you're turning there, I want to thank you again for praying for my wife, Nora. Uh, Brother Larry has already given you the news. Uh, she had a series, complete series of tests since May the 1st when we came back from two months up in the northeast of our country. And uh, the same cardiologist, specialist, and he's very, very well known in our area and region, uh, who told, that same specialist told us two and a half years ago that she did not have long to live. And uh, a very serious prognosis. In fact, he repeated that on uh, one or two more occasions, and we began praying and uh, trying not only uh, conventional remedies, which we didn't really have. He didn't offer us anything, really, as far as conventional medicine. But we started using holistic remedies and praying with a lot of prayer, going in from all the churches. And that same specialist, this uh, now this first of this month, uh, this still is, uh, let's say, May, isn't it? All right. The 1st of May, uh, we came back from those meetings, and uh, he did a complete series of tests, and his diagnosis could not be more uh, uh, opposite from what he had given us two and a half years ago. I tell you, oh, my. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. I, you know, time and again, I'd wake up in the morning, and uh, there would be times when I could not hear her moving around in the house, and uh, she'd be gone, of course, from, from our bed uh, room. And sometimes she, do, she does that when either she can't sleep or I'm snoring too loud and then still can't sleep, amen. But uh, she always gets up early. And uh, I'm telling you what, I, I hope you don't ever have the experience of you know, going to see if your wife died during the night. Because I'd go full expecting the possibility that she might be lying dead in the other room or whatever. But thank you, thank you, thank you for praying. All right. I want to talk to you this evening on 
Uh, this simple fact, our statement, God is in the work of missions. I'm going to give you a number of scripture. I would invite you to uh, take a pen and a piece of paper and write these uh, down. And then uh, you, can, you can read them after you go home. I'll, I'll not have time to turn to all of them. But uh, before I read the scripture in the book of Mark chapter 16, I want to say that it is amazing that God not only saves us when we repent of our sin and by faith trust him to come into our hearts and our lives and be our savior, but he desires to walk with us and us walk with him and for us to have fellowship one with another. We probably have all seen movies on TV uh, where, you know, the good guy saves the bad guy from being killed, but in effect said, now look, I saved your life because of my duty, but get out of my sight. I don't even like the looks of you. You know, get, move, go, and, and hope we never cross paths again, okay? God didn't do that with us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. God loves us. And uh, uh, the day is coming when he's going to dwell with us. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to be together with God. And uh, he wants to have fellowship with us day in and day out right now while we're alive on this earth. In fact, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible tells us that we, uh, the Lord Jesus, God, and ourselves, we are laborers together with God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, people look at us sometimes, and we maybe picked up a trait here, a trait there in our lives, and they, and they look at it and say, hey, who have you been hanging out with? Because we tend to pick up traits from different people that we associate with. Amen. And, uh, you know, the world looks at us and, and time and again they say, who have you been hanging out with? Well, I've been hanging out with the Lord. Amen. Who have you been hanging out with? <laughs> Amen. All right. Let's stand together, please. I want to read verses 1 through uh, 15. Uh, pardon me, 16. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you unto Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. 
Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that uh, that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they went, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, <coughs> pardon me, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help me. Lord, help me not to waste this dear people's time. Help me not to waste your time. I pray, God, that you'd breathe life into the words. And Lord, help me to say exactly what needs to be said, nothing more, nothing less. And I pray you'd encourage, instruct, and challenge our hearts to do more in reaching others. For your namesake, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying tonight, first of all, that God calls missionaries. In the book of Acts chapter 13, the Bible tells us the church in Antioch, as they fasted and prayed and ministered unto the Lord, uh, the Holy Ghost said unto them, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And after they'd fasted and prayed some more, they, the Bible says they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. And God had called these men specifically into the work of missions. God is in missions. And he has told us to go into all the world. Now, I want to say this. We don't need a missionary's call to be involved in missions. Uh, missions begins here at home. And we need to be actively engaged and busy and going at home. But if God separates us and tells us to go to another location, then uh, we need to do that as well. So how is this possible that missionary work can be done? have a lot of problems. But let me say that, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit makes the work all possible. Amen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through us. And uh, the work is needed that God has told us to do and has put us in. And uh, in fact, the need is very compelling. I think about 7 billion people. In fact, it's over 7 billion and counting the population that's now alive on the face of this earth. And the majority, by far the great majority of these people are lost. They do not know Christ as their Savior. And I want to say, beloved, tonight that the cry of the lost uh, should, is compelling to us and I think ought to disturb and ought to motivate us. I think of the rich man in hell in the book of Luke chapter 16. The Bible tells us that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Uh, there was a beggar laid at his gate full of sores. The dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And the Bible says in hell, he lift up his eyes and horror of horrors. He had died, but he wasn't dead. He had just left this body. 
And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he saw that beggar, Lazarus, afar off, leaning on Abraham's bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham did not deny that he was one of his descendants. I don't know if he's a grandson, great-grandson, or what he was, but he said, Son, remember. And in hell, I want to say you can remember. He said, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, there's a great gulf fixed between us and you. We can't come to you. You can't come to us. And when the rich man saw that he could not get even one drop of water, he said, Then send Lazarus back to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, Nay, father, but if, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And listen what, what Abraham said. He said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. May I say to you this evening, the passionate cry of lost people, if they could be heard tonight, I believe would, it, it would be horrifying. They would be compelling us. They would be pleading with us to go to their lost friends, their loved ones, and then to go to people at large to warn them lest they come to the awful place of hell. And that would be right alongside with the moving of the Spirit of God in our bosom, also telling us that we need to go to the regions beyond. I think about the man in the book of Acts, chapter 16. In Paul's, what we re refer to as the Macedonian vision, Paul had uh, been told not to go into Asia, at, at least at that time, to preach. They purposed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not give them liberty to do so. He suffered them not. But then a man in a vision stood and prayed him or besought or begged him, come over into Macedonia and help us. And I say tonight, that same cry is being heard from all over Asia, all over Europe, all over the islands of the sea, South America, Central America, Canada, all over the world. There are people that need our help. Somebody said, preacher, are people really lost? Are they really lost? And my answer is, yes, they are really lost. I want to give you some scripture from the Bible. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one exception. All have sinned. I was witnessing to a nurse in the hospital when I was there with my uh, heart surgery back in uh, uh, 2007. And, uh, you know, the kind of patching me up keeps me put together so I can keep going. Amen. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> pardon me. And I asked this lady, I said, ma'am, when did you come to Christ as your Savior? She was such a kind lady. She said to me, she said, sir, I've been a Christian all of my life. There's no such thing as a person that's been a Christian all of their lives that bypassed the new birth. Men are lost. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, all, all are the children of wrath. 
Then in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says all are under condemnation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says that we all have a rendezvous with with death. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Bible says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Judgment is coming for every lost person. That dies lost. It's coming for everybody. It'll be the white throne of judgment for us. But it'll be the white throne of judgment for them. And uh, it's appointed a man to die. And uh, the Bible tells us that all have sinned. May I say that the world, the whole world apart from Christ, again, is lost. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says that the world is dead in trespasses and in sin. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 alienated from God, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, alienated. And then Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, the Bible says that the lost are ignorant of the truth of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, the scripture says that the lost are even hostile to the law of God. I said to you this evening that men, women, boys, and girls outside of Christ are lost. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, disobedient to the will of God. John chapter 3 and verse 36, exposed to the wrath of God. Then John chapter 3 and verse 19, lost people literally love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But I want to ask the question tonight, is man eternally lost? The Bible's very clear that man's lost. But what about being eternally lost? There was a poll taken among uh, church people uh, back some few years ago, and it was startling to find that just such a large percentage of church people did not even believe there was a literal hell. Even some Baptists don't believe that. And I want to say, beloved, that hell is real and man is eternally lost. In the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible tells us that man was created in the image and likeness of God. And in the image of God, he, in, he inherited the eternal life in the eternal part of God. And man has a living soul that will live eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible speaks that eternity was even put in man's mind. You say, preacher, this thing about hell, is that, hey, listen, the word Guiana uh, actually refers to hell, occurs 12 times in the scriptures, and, uh, and I think it was 11 times that it came from the lips of Jesus. I mean, uh, yes, 11, 11 times. It comes from the very lips of the Lord. And you know what Jesus said about hell? You know how he described it? He described it as being a place of unquenchable fire where the worm dieth not, a place of outer darkness and uh, a place where people are not comforted and those who spurn the love of God in turn faces the very wrath of God. Hell is real. And then I remember when I was just a young young preacher and... uh, I asked the question of a very 
uh, well-known pastor in our area, I said, I, I called his name. I said, brother, I said, what about people that never hear the gospel? And uh, he kind of swallowed and kind of, you know, cleared his throat, throat, throat. And he said, well, said Dick, said, I believe, believe those folk will get, be given a second chance. You ever heard that? Hmm? Nothing in all of the teachings of Jesus, nor anywhere else in the Bible, do we find one hint of uh, this being taught. Not one place. In fact, in the scriptures, in the passage we've already referred to, in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the Bible goes to the exact opposite of this. There was the rich man in hell that we mentioned and he cries out for water, but that request was an impossible request to fulfill. He asked for his five brothers that somebody, Lazarus in particular, might go to them. Again, it was an impossible request. It could not be honored. You see, death seals the fate of lost people. And it seals the fate of believers as well as unbelievers. I mean, what we're going to do for Christ, we've got to do it because after death, it won't be done. And lost people, if they die lost, they're lost. They don't get a second chance. Amen. I repeat in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. No probation, judgment. Well, the question comes again. Are the heathen lost? Are they really lost? And I want to say, beloved, in answer to that, that the heathen were not always heathen. In apostasy, they came to the place that they were at from their forefathers, grandmother, granddads, great-grandmother, great-granddad, somewhere back down the line. Uh, you know, they weren't always heathen as far as just having no knowledge at all of God. But in their progressive apostasy, they did not lose all the knowledge of God. I'm told I've never traveled all over the world. I've, I've been privileged to travel in some 15 different uh, foreign countries and minister in most of those. But I've never met an individual that did not sense. Uh, you know, they may even for a bit deny the existence of God. But as a rule, they know there is a supernatural being. They know that a sacrifice of some kind must be offered to God in order to appease him or gain his favor. They sometimes offer chickens or goats, even uh, uh, children sometimes. I remember the story that I read of a missionary over in, I believe it was in Africa. And he said that morning he saw a woman that had two children and uh, she was going, you know, across through the jungle. And that evening she came back and only had one child. And uh, he inquired where the other child was. She said, I sacrificed that child. I threw that child in the river as a sacrifice to the gods. He said, uh, well, I can't help but notice the other child that you had this morning was Farah. And it seemed in better condition than this child. She said, yes. She said, we only offer the best to our gods. 
all the blindness, darkness in the hearts of people. All of sin. The scripture teaches that revelation, uh, nature provides a revelation of God's existence to them. And then God is revealed even in people's conscience. All have sinned. And they've gone down this road. And this is a, a dead end road that leads into hell. Now, since they've progressively gone into apostasy and their forefathers and fathers before them chose this route, and they've now in that place because of this, should we just maybe think about just washing our hands of them and saying, well, they've, they've got what they really deserve? I was appalled to read, and I've, I've run into this. I, I was appalled to read even this week. Uh, I think I was reading on the airplane when it was coming over about a man who was pressing the need for missions in a congregation. And uh, one of the leaders of the church, a deacon, no less, and I'm not putting down on deacons, but he, he spoke up and he said, brother, he said, listen, he said, I know it's good to kind of do some things for people, but he said, as far as I'm concerned, he said, it'd be fine with me if this all just blown off the face of the earth and sent to hell. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that coming from somebody that's supposed to know the Lord? And yet I've been in some churches, and I remember one in particular. I think the, the Sunday school board gave the, the account that there were 200, just over 200 people in that congregation that morning. And I preached my heart out to them, pressing the need of missions. And I asked the question with heads bowed and their eyes closed. I said, folk, how many of you this morning would be willing to be a missionary, go to the regions beyond if the Lord should call you. Would you slip your hand up, please? And out of 200 plus people, not one single hand was raised. And I found in trying to get those people, to encourage them even to give, it was just virtually a simple lost cause. I don't see how people can be saved and be that, be like that. I just don't, I don't understand it. I remember when we started this ministry years ago, my purpose was to not only preach mission conferences, but to take trips, take people to the mission field and let them see firsthand. Oh, what an exciting adventure that was. First of all, because of, well, all excuses people put up for not going. But I won't go into that, amen. And I had as many as 30-plus people lined up. And then when it came right down to the day to leave, we'd do good to have six or eight of those 30 people that would actually go. But uh, I remember taking a trip down to Venezuela, South America. And I had, uh, let me think, there was uh, six or seven of us total. And uh, we uh, got on the airplane, and I think it was... Two or three of those pastors had never flown before. And I never will forget one of the older pastors as we were climbing, the plane was climbing out. And the plane was shaking just a little bit like this, going through some light turbulence. And he said, he said, Brother Rawls, Brother Rawls. And I said, yes, brother. 
he said, this thing's missing. He thought a spark plug in the engine was missing. <laughs> but we got down there, and the missionary pastor, the first day out, he said, he said, I really thought about doing some special things uh, for you folk, but he said, what I decided to do is to just take you with me on what I would do in a normal week of ministry. And uh, he said, uh, he said, we have a community where we're laboring to start a new church. And he said, we have a service scheduled there tonight. We're going to show a gospel film. And he said, at, at these people's home, and he said, we're going to preach and give an invitation after the film. And so we get over there and people started gathering well before it was dark enough to show the film. Preacher's name is Jerry Alford. You, you, you know Brother Jerry. And uh, Brother Jerry said to me, he said, Brother Rawls, uh, here, take the PA system and preach to these folk. <laughs> and I said, okay, it had been 10 years since I'd really been in Mexico, uh, you know, working. My Spanish was a little on the rusty side, but I started preaching. You know, those people, for the most part, stayed around. I don't know how many was there, but it must have been upwards toward 80 to 100 people and gave an invitation. And I don't remember anybody getting saved, but then they showed the film and gave another invitation after it got dark enough. And uh, you know what? Uh, people responded. People responded. We, uh, we went to some homes to eat. And... Uh, we weren't trying to, you know, put on a front or anything. We're just talking and enjoying each other's company and translating for the folk that couldn't speak Spanish. And, and then uh, I remember going into one home where the, the husband, the head of the house, was lost. His wife loved God, just loved God with all of her heart. And she's praying for her husband. And uh, so we were able to witness to him, but then he decided that he's going to leave, you know, just very kind to him. And uh, then I, never, I remember another home we went to where this lady is saved. And they brought these little bitty cups about that tall and, you know, just about this big around. And they poured coffee in them. And one of the men said, why did they bring such a small cup? I said, when you taste the coffee, you'll understand. Amen. It's one of those places where you could about put a spoon in it and it would stand up without, you know. <laughs> but we... It, when we came to the last service, I told Brother Jerry, I said, Preacher, I said, uh, I speak Spanish. And I said, uh, these other men don't. And I'm not sure they're getting the full impact of what they're seeing and hearing. And I said, if you don't mind, why don't we have a testimony service? And uh, you have some of your people to give a testimony. And then you translate for them. And uh, let these men that don't speak Spanish understand really what the fullness of what they're seeing. And so he said, we'll do that. So he gets up that night and he told the folk what we're going to do. And he said, I want eight different ones of you to come up at will. And he said, speak a little bit. Stop. Let me translate. For these folk who don't understand Spanish, speak a little bit. Stop. And so on. About the third one up was a lady we referred to as Grandma. I think she was about 70 years old then and just died about a year ago. She was old, amen. But uh, she came up and she said, prior to uh, our meeting, Brother Alford, she said, I was a teacher in the Catholic Church. 
She said, I taught ladies the catechism. I taught them how to pray to the Virgin Mary, how to conduct themselves in the church and so on. But she said, I didn't have assurance of my own salvation. I had no assurance that I was saved. I didn't know that I would go to heaven when I died. But she said, one day, oh, one day, she said that there was a man came by my home, the most wonderful person in the world. And Brother Jerry didn't translate that. I looked at him. He just said, <laughs> and she said, he told me the most wonderful story. And by this time, she's hugging her Bible to her bosom. And she's done forgotten that she's supposed to stop to let him translate. It's like she's gone into the third heaven. And boy, I mean, she was going and going. Amen. And you know what the church was doing? Amen, abuela. Amen, abuela. Amen, abuela. Amen, amen, abuela. <laughs> uh, maybe 100, 120 people there. And people were rejoicing. And Brother Joe was translating, or Brother Jerry was translating. There's one of those preachers. He's from down in South Georgia. And uh, I'd never seen him do this before, but he's... He said, amen, amen. About this time, he jumped up, and I know what he's fixing to do. He's fixing to take off running. I've never seen that before. But there wasn't any room to run. <laughs> he just said, I just sat down. <laughs> All of those preachers came back. You're talking about a dramatic difference in their churches. Brother A. Cooper, one of those pastors, had mission conferences, quote unquote, but he'd never let the preacher present faith promise giving. And I was scheduled to be with him about three weeks from that date. And when I went, in fact, when we left that left Venezuela, he said, Brother Rawls, he said, I want you to come on and present faith promise to our people. And you tell us about missions and how to give to support missions. And I went down there. And brother, those people said, said Brother Rawls, we don't know what you did to our pastor but said he hasn't quit talking about that trip since he went there and just talking on and on. And, uh, and I went back two years later, was alternating every other year with another man, and they said, Brother Rawls, our pastor's still talking and talking about that trip. But we went that first meeting, presented faith promise in that church. Our tenants run about 135. They were already supporting, uh, let's see, was uh, 32 missionaries. 32 missionaries, most of them at $25 a month. But uh, we, we took the faith promise. And uh, when, we, when we were ready to count it up, the pastor handed the cards to me and said, here, Brother Rawls, count these up. And he was talking to the people. And he said, folk, you may think I'm pushing uh, too far on this, but he said, God's challenged me. And he said, I will not be satisfied until we have 50 missionaries. He said, I don't know how long that'll be, but he said, I'm telling you, I'll, I will not be satisfied till we have 50. And he said, really, I won't be satisfied when we got 50. And uh, about this time, I'd gotten the cards tallied up, and I walked up and I said, Brother Cooper, I said, you're talking about having 50 missionaries. Don't know how long it'll be. I said, you've got enough to take on 20 more tonight. He looked at me and said, well, praise the Lord. He didn't think it was real, you know. He called me the next year, and uh, pardon me, the, be two years after that, and he said, Brother Rawls said, I want you to check your schedule, make sure you got me down. He said, you know, those people promised all that money, said they've given it, 
and uh, they raised it last year when uh, Brother Anderson was here. And he said, you double check. I said, brother, you're in my, he said, no, no, get your calendar and look, make sure. I said, okay. I looked, I said, it's in there, brother. He said, well, you hold those dates. Amen. You know what that church did? They ended up with 75 missionaries at 50 minimum dollars, American dollars a month. They were supporting missionaries out of the Christian school, supporting missionaries out of the church, individuals supporting missionaries. What made the difference? It was their pastor seeing it firsthand. Amen. And uh, I remember Brother Joe Perino, and I'm not going to go on and on, but Brother Perino went back to his church. Another one of those pastors went with me. And uh, he told me, he said, Brother Rawls, and he told his people, he said, we've always supported missionaries because it's right. But he said, praise God, it's different now. He said, we're supporting missionaries because we want to. They got a vision of it. Hey, let us look at the heart of God tonight. And I believe God, if we could just see something of the heartbeat of God and hear something of the compelling cry of the lost people and see the effectiveness of the gospel, I believe that God will help us to want to support missionaries like we've never supported them before in our lives. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. The Holy Spirit within us energizes and makes this possible. Let's cooperate and be truly laborers together with God. But I could I urge you to begin praying tonight if you haven't already and saying, Lord, like the Apostle Paul when he was Saul that just got converted on the road to Damascus, could we say, Lord, oh Lord, what wilt thou have me to do that others might hear, believe, and be saved? Let's stand, please, head bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there might be one here this evening that does not know the Lord as your personal Savior. Would you slip your hand up, please, and say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? My prayer won't save you, but that's a step in the right direction. Second question. I wonder if there's, there are those that lift your hand, you'd say, Brother Rawls, please pray for me that God will work through me to help get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Pray that I'll be and do exactly what God wants. Pray that he'll enlighten me and show me and that I'll, I'll follow in perfect harmony and unity with his will. Would you slip your hand up, please? God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, as our pastor comes, I pray that you'd, Lord, uh, take over, that you'd do what, you, what needs to be done. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, that we might be faithful givers and faithful goers. And Lord, there may be somebody here tonight that you're nudging, that you want to go to the regions beyond to be a missionary. You answer the call, Lord, to go over into Macedonia or to go over into Egypt or go over into Mexico or Argentina or Canada or some other place in the world to help them. Souls are crying. Men are dying. Help us, God, to lead them to the cross. In Jesus' name.